0: I was initially machine piecing my quilts and sewing that initial patchwork together, mostly, excuse me, with a sewing machine. And then I started to realize that I was having a lot more fun with the handwork part instead of the sewing machine part.
1: Welcome to Make and Decorate a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast. This is episode 31, and we continue our series on the different types of quilting. And today's type of quilting is going to be hand quilting. All right, so before we get to all that, Let's talk about some updates and what's going on here. Um, First of all, I finally got the newsletter out. So um, for those of you who have subscribed, thank you so much, too, because a lot of you have subscribed to the newsletter and I really appreciate it. So I got it done and uh, I just missed my end of June deadline by like one day or two days. (laughs) But hey, it it got done. And um, I was definitely motivated in making myself accountable to get that done. So I hope you enjoy the newsletter. Uh, Please send me Uh, any feedback you have, uh, make it nice feedback. Um, If there's errors and that sort of thing, I definitely want to know. So yeah, I hope you enjoy it. A few things I did not keep myself accountable for that fell by the wayside were my three sewing projects I wanted to get done by the end of June for our vacation coming up um, this week. In fact, when you listen, or when this um, episode publishes. On the 4th, it's publishing on the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day to uh, America. Um, But yeah, I'll be on the road driving to our vacation destination. So we're driving out east to um, the New York-Vermont border. Uh, Our cousins live in Um, New York, and right by the border of Vermont, and we're actually staying in Vermont, which is basically like five, 10 minutes away. So uh, I asked the, um, you know, the Airbnb person about quilt shops in the area, and she gave me two. So um, I'm in, uh, I'm definitely going to check these out. Um, One of them is the Water House Quilt Shop. And um, the other one is the Scarlet Creation. So if any listeners are in the Vermont, um, New York area, and you know about these quilt shops, uh, let me know. And uh, this is the other thing she gave me, which I'm so excited about. There is a Mary Mecco outlet. So I'm really excited about that. I'm definitely going to go see what's going on there. And uh, yeah, it's going to be nice. I mean, I've been at, to Vermont about five years ago, um, and it's that was the first time I ever uh, came to Vermont, and it is gorgeous, it is just picturesque, beautiful. They have a, everything basically, they've got like ski mountains um, in the winter, and they have just beautiful. Like if you are into bicycling, there's people go there to do um, like bicycle um, trips because the landscape is so gorgeous. Um, When we drive, there's this just picturesque part of the drive. And um, along the highway, there are these just really long running shallow creeks with these beautiful rocks in there and tall, like craggy cliff type of you know, hills, mountains, and it's just so pretty to look at. Uh so I'm looking forward to that a lot. So there's I really, really want to go to the Brimfield Flea Market in Massachusetts, but it is two and a half hours drive away from where we're at. So I'm not I don't know. That's gonna be like a last minute decision. Um, you know, of course no one wants to go. <laughs> I'm the only one. See this is what I'm talking about and what we all talk about. Like everyone around us thinks that we're crazy. Like that, that we're just like why would you want to go to a flea market? Why would you want to go to a fabric store on vacation? <laughs> because because it's exciting to me. It's it's fun and I always get some little trinket of a quilt shop where I go that is, you know, not in my area. I mean, it's kind of fun. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it and it should be fun. We're bringing Cooper, our dog. Cooper is the best travel dog. He has been traveling with us since he was five months old. We went on um, a trip, a road trip to Canada to visit my sister in law and it's a ten hour drive and we weren't sure how he was gonna do because we got him when he was three months old, and so we had only had him for two months and uh but we took him, and he loves the car he loves to travel, he loves to be with us, and I think just since we've you know since we um You know, adopted him from the shelter. He was just, um, you know, just a cute little baby pup. And uh, it was in the middle of winter. And we still even took him to this um, dog beach down by Lake Michigan. Um, I mean, it's open year round. And in the winter... It's just, um, you know, that there's still like the sand there and the dogs love to run around in it. So he's been going to that since he since we've had him. He loved that's his most favorite place in the world. He loves the dog beach all year round and he just loves to go places. So um, we like to take him with us wherever we can. He's just so much part of our little family that it's just um, I just wouldn't want to leave him with, you know, a doggy hotel or whatever they call those things. Um, so yeah, uh, well, oh, um, I did get the dog bed finished. That's the one project out of the three that I did complete and, um, it looks nice. However, I kind of rushed through it. I got, you know, got it done in one day and I just did not pay attention to details and I just started making it. So, Um, I should have squared the top and the bottom pieces because when I put the uh, filler, the foam, uh, the Dacron wrapped foam inside the dog bed, the corners are a little wonky. You know what I did really well (laughs) is the zipper in the banding. So I was really proud of that. And I think I am going to try to make this into a pattern because I like the design of it and it really isn't that complicated um, you just have to pay attention to the corners and the top and the bottom pieces need to be the same size and the reason these weren't the same size is because I pieced together um, different fabrics so there's a larger middle piece and then I cut up um, another fabric and put them on each end. It's a dog bed and Cooper doesn't mind and it's so cute. okay I just want to uh, give a shout out to Pat Sloan. And uh, she uh, aired her last episode of her podcast that she has done for American Patchwork and Quilting for the past 10 years. Pat Sloan's podcast was the very first quilting related podcast that I ever found and listened to. And she has been such an inspiration to me um at, both as a quilter and a podcaster. so uh I really, really just um want to send her all the best and to thank her for everything that she's contributed to our community in the podcast world and uh, she's not going anywhere I mean she's still running her business and doing um, her book writing and pattern writing and all of that it's just that um, the editors of American Patchwork and Quilting have decided to go in a new direction and they want their own editors to do the podcast Okay, so it's time now to continue our series on the different types of quilting. Today's guest is Heidi Parks. Heidi is actually from uh, the Chicago area, like me, and she is a, a trained fine artist. She went to the Art Institute of Chicago and um, her art now is quilting. She, she does um, a lot of uh, mixed media and fiber arts with her quilting. And she has become very proficient and expert at hand quilting and hand mending. Uh, so I am just really pleased to present this to you. Uh, here is Heidi Parks. Welcome, Heidi, to the podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And today's topic on my quilting series is all about hand quilting, which is what you do.
0: Yes, it is. It's my favorite. Yeah,
1: I'm so excited to learn about this because I haven't really done um, too much of it. So I'm (laughs) really excited to learn today. But before we dive into that, I just want to kind of get your story out there kind of where your background like I think you're from my area like the Chicago area is that where you from? home from me yeah yay
0: <laughs> yeah so I was I was born in the city of Chicago in the hospital and lived in Oak Park till I was five years old and oh. then I moved to Naperville and that's where I did all of my growing up in the western suburbs of Chicago and then I went to college in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and then got a job as a high school art teacher and I did that for nine years in Naperville because that's where I was home and was really comfy and I was actually able to live uh, back at home with my mother for a while and pay her rent instead of a landlord that I didn't know Mm -hmm. and And then eventually when I decided to leave teaching to pursue quilting, I moved to Chicago for a year and lived downtown again. And then I've been in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for the last four years. And that's actually where my mother was born and where she's from. So it felt in many ways like going back home to the motherland.
1: (laughs) back to the origins yeah exactly (laughs) that's cool yeah you know the whole you know for the listeners where we're at Chicago and the Wisconsin border are within an hour of each other and Milwaukee is just like I don't know Not that far off, an hour and a half away from Chicago, right? It's very, very close, yeah. So, I mean, I've been up there many times and I know all of what you're talking about. You, so I'm in the town right next to Oak Park in Berwyn,
0: so (laughs) yeah, yeah. And just this past weekend, I was visiting Oak Park. I'm a member of the Chicago Modern Quilt Guild, Uh and they meet in Oak Park, and so it's just such a fun thing to be able to. Oh, you went to that. Yeah, yes, yeah. oh, so I was this past weekend. And... I went to that workshop on the day before.
1: We did? Yes, well, with well, Liz Elliott. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw Liz Elliott
0: give her lecture.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's so funny, we could have done this in person. I know, of... right? Oh, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? I, <laughs> you can get instant quilting and then you'll be at all the, you know, deeper into quilting, you'll be at all the meetings.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, I joined the the Chicago Guild last year, but then I didn't show up for like more than three meetings mm. and I felt bad. And then, um, but I was talking to them and they're just like, it's fine. Just come when you can. And, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I, I like the socialization and seeing everyone. So I think I, I will join again, you know, in the new year. So
0: What's nice is it's not that much more expensive than just... Being an at-large member of the Modern Mm -hmm. Quilt Guild, which I of course want to do because I attend QuiltCon and I submit my quilts to that, and I'm now I'm a teacher at QuiltCon, and so I I care a lot about the guild. And for a while, I was hesitant. Oh, Chicago too far away. Can I count (laughs) as a guild member even though I live in (laughs) Wisconsin now? And they were so open and welcoming, and it's such a great crew of people, and it really. Helps me feel rooted still in, 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 you know, quote, home Mm -hmm. to have good excuses like that to come back. Oh, yeah, that's
1: great. Yeah, it's a great group. I really loved it. And, and they were, you know, I'm an individual guild member now, but I found out there was an opening and I'm like, could I come? (laughs) They're like, yes, you're in. (laughs) I'm so excited.
0: That's That's so. I was actually i got to have a wonderful conversation with Libs about hand quilting. she's starting to do some hand quilting It's oh, been frame and rock her needle and all of that and I say oh well I quilt different from that but <laughs> still hand quilting cool
1: and yeah. yeah and you know mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to have you on and I I didn't want to exclude hand quilting from all the different types of quilting because um people are doing it more and more often yeah and yeah. um yeah. and and what I've seen also is that um even if they're not hand quilting the entire thing, they will embellish and hand quilt sections of the quilt <laughs> or highlight things, and I just love that because it yeah. really gives some dimension and just um, a unique, you know, personality to the quilt.
0: I agree. Yeah. Good. Good. So to to answer your question yeah. more properly, when I was born. My grandmother organized a collaborative quilt and my family and my mom's friends contributed to the quilt. Everyone made a block and then my grandma finished it as a tie quilt, which is another kind of Mm -hmm. cool type of hand quilting. And so that is... The way that I entered the world was very much with a quilt and being surrounded by women who knew how to do all kinds of fiber art and needle points and applique and trapunto and embroidery and all the, the variety of techniques that are in this quilt. And my mom would always sew Halloween costumes for me and made a lot of my clothes growing up. But my mother was not a quilter and so it took a while for me to decide that I wanted to make a quilt, and my mom was very active as an artist, and my grandmother also was an artist. She had a degree in art that she got in in midlife and got me very interested in ceramics and in painting, and so in, in this very creative family that I grew up in, my mom and my grandmother were very interested in art and textiles and being able to sew and just thinking that that was as important to learn as reading and driving. You know, of course you know how to sew. Mm -hmm. And my father was an amazing woodworker and very handy around the house. And so it was just this energy of let's do things by hand. Let's make things. And, And that was such an important culture in my family. And then I went to art school, as I mentioned, because I wanted to be a teacher. I was a theater kid in high school, and I loved being on stage and telling a story in an exciting way and sort of having that permission to have the spotlight, because I was oftentimes otherwise relatively shy. And then when I had the permission of the spotlight, whether through teaching or through acting, it, it was a very exciting moment. So... When I was in art school, I initially thought how amazing it was to have access to a really big kiln mm. and all the different toys and things. And so I thought, what else can I take as a class that will get me using cool technology? And I thought of metalworking because of the blowtorch tor- and everything. <laughs> and, and, and so that is when, the moment when I made my very first quilt ever was in my metalworking working class in college. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's my end to the quilt world, which I think is not a very standard <laughs> approach. <laughs> but our assignment was make something that is as important on the inside as it is on the outside. And for me, that quilt from my family, the outside told a story and was interesting and beautiful and exciting. But the inside was the part that touched my body and gave me warmth and was the useful part of it. Mm -hmm. So that equality of importance inside and outside for me was what drew me to the quilt. And so I used metal squares and also used squares of photos and books and textiles. And I sewed them together with wire and it was murder on my fingers. I don't know what I was thinking. And then I made it soft on the inside and it just lining it with a piece of fabric. And so that was my initial way into textiles. And that's what got me thinking that I had this huge background, this personal interest in textiles. And I had been working with clay by pressing lace and fibers and fabric into the clay and buttons. And everything I was doing was just on the edge of textiles. And so then I finally started incorporating textiles into my drawing classes and then ultimately taking fiber art classes when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And, and there in my quilting class, it was a class about sampling and the idea of making a sampler and also how does a DJ sample things and combine them. And so I made quilts out of books and paper and other non-traditional materials in that class, but all very handwork focused. Mm -hmm. I was making them by hand. I was not using big machinery to do any of this stuff. And, Then a lot of time passed while I was teaching and more focused on embroidery and that aspect of textiles. And then my, in 2013, when I moved out of my mom's home and into my own apartment and was doing my own thing, I had a quilt top from my grandmother that she had found at a estate sale. And my mom as she was culling my grandma's things and trying to whittle her down to her smaller apartment, she grabbed that quilt top and said, Heidi, you should finish this and make it into a quilt to have in your home. I bet it would be really lovely. It's beautiful. And so that was the first quilt that I ever hand quilted that was made with fabric. And it is the greatest love story of my life, because... Mm. It was September 2013, and by the end of that month, I finished hand quilting the whole thing and was so in love with it. By the end of that school year, September is so perfectly the beginning of the school year. So by the end of that year is when I left teaching to pursue quilting full time. And it was this incredible year of hand quilting and watching and rewatching the documentary series, Why Quilts Matter. And going on Pinterest and Instagram and anything I could get my hands on to find out, can a person be a professional quilter? Is there a quilt world? How can I do more of this? Sewing with fabric.
1: And and what did you find on that? Because that is a question that a, a lot of us have that are, are trying to make a living in the, the quilt world. And mm. it's amazing that you went from a September if I heard this right, yeah. September, yeah. you started hand quilting that quilt top that your grandmother gave you. Yeah. Finished it in a month. Mm hmm. And then at the end of that school term,
0: <laughs> yeah. Not even a year later, <laughs> mm-hmm. you pursued a
1: career in quilting.
0: I did. Wow. And so, you know, part of it that's important is it was my first fabric quilt, but back in around 2002 or 2003 is when I made that quilt out of metal. Mm -hmm. So a solid decade before, and I was very skilled in with using a needle. I had a lot of dexterity, a lot Mm -hmm. of skill with a needle. I simply hadn't applied it to quilting previously. Right. But I, some of the things that drew me to it was I had also been doing a lot of painting and I was feeling as though embroidery was so small. You put 20 hours into something and it five by seven inches. How can, you, <laughs> right? how can you charge a reasonable amount for that thing, even mm-hmm. though it took so much space? So I loved that quilt could be big. I loved that they were easier to transport and store in contrast to painting. I loved that the materials were, by contrast, they felt like they were free. Because each canvas is so expensive to buy. And I had plenty of fabric laying around from my family, from my neighbors, and the needle and thread were so easy to access. I already owned a sewing machine. The consumable parts of, of what you need to make a quilt were so much less. Mm-hmm. And 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 also it was so clean and easy i would i was leaving my mom's home where i had electricity set up to have a kiln i had a whole huge basement where i could be painting and suddenly in this new space i needed to be much more clean and i could make a quilt in that space whereas i really couldn't figure out how to paint or do ceramics or mm-hmm. other things right, in that space right. and in terms of finding that Courage to be a professional artist. A big part of it went back to when I was in high school and college. I worked as an assistant to a ceramic artist, and she had also gone to the School of the Art Institute in Sh- of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I loved that as a job that I sometimes did. But in experiencing what it meant to be a ceramic artist, things were so fragile, they could break, in a second, you could chip something and all the work that you had put into it completely gone. Mm -hmm. And she had to drive a huge van in order to transport everything. It was a lot of heavy lifting. It was a lot of hours in the basement where you could have that kind of dust for clay, you can't work with pottery in your living room. (laughs) And it, it was eye opening enough that I understood that people could be artists, but it was also an experience that let me know I didn't love ceramics enough to do the work that it took Mm -hmm. to have that be my job. And when I made a quilt, I thought, I love everything about this. It is worth the struggle and the difficulty. And certainly part of how I was able to do it is that I had been living pretty affordably with my mother and saving money for that, you know, one day, who knows what I'll want to do. And so I had a significant amount of money saved up and I had paid off my student loans because I was living economically. And this felt like something I wanted that was worth spending that money instead of continuing to squirrel it away. And I also was From having been a student at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, I don't know of any other college that does this. They have free ongoing support to all alumni forever. And so I was able to attend special free workshops that they had every other Saturday at the school. And each week, the theme was how to document your art with photography how to do an elevator pitch, how to write your resume, how to do your website, how to have an online social media presence. All the time, just for free, I could access. And then also, they had one-on-one appointments that I could schedule at any time for an hour to meet with one of their about 10 different expert people so I could look through their resume, see what they were expert in, and meet with them for an hour to get personal advice on how to build and change my career as an artist. Wow! And it was just, it's amazing. (laughs) And I have never heard of anyone else having access to anything remotely like that. And so even though I graduated school in 2005, when we barely had the internet, when things were so different, I was able to go back. And the very first workshop of that kind that I attended was on a social media presence. And at the time, I had 250 followers on Instagram, it was a small collection of my Facebook friends, basically. And they completely transformed the way that I was thinking about how I was interacting with that social media. And within a year, I had a 1000 followers on Instagram. I'm super excited. I just recently hit 10,000 followers, and that feels like a really big That's huge. step forward. That is so and huge. It's so exciting, and it, it's because they changed the way that I was thinking about what I was doing.
2: Hmm.
0: And they also, one of the really powerful things that they did when I went in and met with them was I, I was starting to find people who inspired me. And so I went in and I showed them the website of, Folk Fibers, Mara Grace Ambrose, and Luke Haynes, mm-hmm. and Pauline Boyd of Counterpain. And these three quilters were doing things that I thought were incredible, and I thought, if they can do some part of this, maybe I can do it too. And how are they doing it? And the expert that I went with, he said, first of all, let's look at what their splash pages and what their websites look like. Some of these people want to be in your home. They are making functional objects. Um, On the other hand, some of these artists, because of the way they're doing their website, they want to be in a gallery. They are exhibiting fine art. Like if you didn't read the small little word that says quilt, you might think it was a painting based on the way that their website is structured. Mm -hmm. And you've got to do some soul searching and think, where do you want to be What is your identity? What is your goal as a quilter? And then when we looked past that, we looked at the small print of their website. So where was the tiny link with their CV? And how long have they been at it? Have they been quilting for a decade, for two years? And where did they get those first early breaks that helped them make their mark? And was it in a gallery? Was it in a textile shop? Was it through an interaction that they had with anthropology that was more of a mainstream designing connection? And those baby steps that they did early on in their career can help guide the early on choices that I make. Hmm. And and then also just kind of getting over some fears around approaching people. That was an exciting year where I was reaching out to some of those artists and saying, hey, I really love what you do. And you know, can I collaborate with you? Can I have coffee with you sometime? Can we have a phone call online or meet over Skype? And, and a lot of what I'm describing there is stuff that I did in that first year when I moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm. But the year when I was deciding what to do, it was really just about I've finally found something I love, and also I think a lot of us are uh, know that the job of being a teacher is changing dramatically in America. Mm-hmm. And I was driving between two different high schools, and it just mm. I felt like a frog in boiling water. I used to walk out of my job and think I cannot believe that they pay me to do this. This is magic, kids and art. Nothing could be better. And it was slowly changing to the point that I was so frazzled and stressed with having four different budgets that I was buying things from and new acronyms each year and being told to teach classes that were supposedly the same as one another, but they really weren't the same as one another at all um, with, with the same amount of time and what felt like twice the work. And so they were making it feel very easy to leave. And then also my duplex that I was living in, after 10 months of living there, the landlords decided they didn't want to be landlords anymore. And so I just realized, either way, I have to move. <laughs> and it was just it's such a nightmare. I did not want to move again. But mm-hmm. I thought, okay, clearly the universe is saying that what I have been doing, it's going to be hard to stay. It's not going to be easy to stay. And here's this new way forward where I can move to Chicago, have a roommate, cut my living expenses, have lots of opportunities through my college, and 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 can carve a new path that way. And so I made, during that year, I made a collaborative quilt for my friend who was having a baby. And then I made a quilt that was a Christmas gift for my dad. And then I made... A quilt that I thought was going to be a baby gift. And then I realized the person I was making it for, we weren't close enough for me to give her a gift that them. Right. And I finished a quilt that my grandmother had had in progress for about 30 years. And we gave that as a gift to my brother for his wedding. Oh. And then I thought, if I want this to be maybe possibly more fine art rather than functional craft let what would I make for that and so I started to make a quilt that was a 36 block quilt about wanderlust and changing directions and moving and looking at the world differently and that quilt went on in 2016 to win first place at in handwork at the modern quilt guilds quilt con yeah so it was a quilt that I called places unfold and um and I was using a lot of embroidery in that quilt and so all of the technical things that I had been doing in other corners of my creative life mm-hmm. it was the first time I thought let me apply those skills to a quilt and have some of the artistic creative thinking that I have been bringing to painting what if I put that into a quilt and as I was starting to see that quilt form, it was great because with the 36 blocks, I could make a plan and then bring a block. And when I was doing supervision in the cafeteria as a teacher or (laughs) proctoring exams, I could have that handwork with me and it was small and easy to do. And then it, it came together to become a larger quilt. And as I was seeing myself make that quilt, it was just feeling more and more right that this is something I can do. I can really express myself in the medium of quilts. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to feel limited or pigeonholed into, uh, you know, only the craft world and not the art world. My background with ceramics was so similar. Ceramics also has that deep history of being craft rather than fine art. Mm -hmm. And, and so I had that experience of, of seeing how certain mediums can straddle both worlds and I was starting to see how a quilt could be in the fine art world just as easily as it could be in the craft world and and then I just jumped you know I I had been seeing a a therapist during the time as I because I was going through some other transitions and she helped me work through a lot of the fears that I had around finding the courage to be an artist and letting go of a salary Mm-hmm. And having my own health insurance and luckily Obamacare was on the scene by then. And I realized that I could have my own health care that would be true health care and not just catastrophic in case something terrible happens care. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I jumped for it and I I felt so supported in that leap by, by the art school that I was in and by the connections that I had in the creative world and, and by the way that Instagram was just kind of new and getting started and I was, you know, for the first time I could just send a DM, a direct message <laughs> to Luke and like he would answer me back. <laughs> I'm sure a couple of years before that, that just wouldn't have been at all possible in my head that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's still a true thing. People direct message me all the time and I always get the message and I always reply and what an amazing world we're living in right now that we have access to reaching out to our creative heroes and they'll write us back and give us advice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is just a wonderful, thank you so much for, for telling your story and about your journey and just all of the um, roadblocks that you encountered. And also the way that you utilized um, resources out there that, Um, You had to make an effort to do that. And Mm -hmm. a lot um, of people, me included, are introverts, and it's hard for us to do that. But Mm -hmm. to have that resource from your college, the Art Institute, have that forever. I mean, Mm -hmm. and that's invaluable. That is just invaluable additional continuing education training. Yeah. Uh, So... I mean, I and can... you know
0: it's interesting because one of their struggles is that people don't take advantage of right. it. Right, that's what I'm so getting these at. Weekly, <laughs> these biweekly meetings I was going to—they were lucky if they got ten or fifteen people to show up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there was only six people. And granted, there are different moments in a career when you need that kind of help. I feel as though you know, right now because I did that, I don't really need that support. Currently, I'm not taking advantage of it as fully anymore, because. Well, you did I, I, it already. I, I know. <laughs> I mean, I already had probably 21 on one-on-one meetings with them. Like, how much right. more can I do? But, but it is really shocking to them that more people don't take advantage and they're always trying to brainstorm you know, and then Mm -hmm. they came back to ask me and said, Heidi, how did we reach you? How did we (laughs) get you to take advantage of this opportunity? How can we reach other former students and alumni and get them in the door? And, and so it's interesting that it does go both both ways. And I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people you know, obviously, there aren't that many people who went to the Art Institute. But Mm -hmm. there are lots of opportunities if you pause and look around yourself. Now that I live here in Milwaukee, I'm aware of lots of other kinds of opportunities that I'm eligible for. Mm -hmm. And it just takes a little extra digging on the internet to, to find that support. Because there, there, you know, there's so many different ways to get support like Mm -hmm. that. It's just that, you know, the Art Institute was my way and was, to me, the most obvious way in the first place to start. That's amazing.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it will never happen for me because my um, interior design school, Harrington, um, closed down last year. That was downtown Chicago. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, that's so sad. Is so sad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now they're gone. But, yeah.
0: Oh, man. I think, you know, at the Art Institute, they have free lectures that are open to the public and, that they have on a pretty regular basis where you can come in and, and see an artist talk about their work. Oh, and, I am
1: going to get on their mail list then.
0: Oh, they're, they're so good. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, and they had a bit of a lottery cause it was so famous, but I saw Jeff Koons speak live in person Whoa. in the more in the textile arena. I saw Sonia Clark speak and she does so many amazing things with hair and with deconstructing the confederate flag uh you know picking like unweaving is part of her art form and she's amazing and i got to see her talk and when i moved to milwaukee that was a really big early priority for me was how do, where can i see free art lectures as so I went to the local art college that they have here. And I, I found out that they don't really do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so then I dug a little deeper and the state school, uh, it's called UWM, you know, University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Milwaukee, their Peck School of the Arts has a, a weekly lecture that they don't meet quite, it's not open to the public quite every week, but probably twice a month I can go and hear a lecture. And again, there's always tons of space in the auditorium. It's (laughs) half full at the most. And, and it's so inspiring to be around that energy. And then the crowd of people who shows up there and, you know, you go early and you sit in the front and then mingle a little bit and you get to talk with other people who are also excited and striving and on this path of learning and taking advantage of the free resources in their community. And, and so then they'll tell me about something else that's happening. And did you know this art gallery has a free thing? Or did Mm -hmm. you know that someone else is doing something? And, um, you know, please come to my opening for my art exhibition and then Mm -hmm. let's do studio visits together. Mm -hmm. And being in communities like that, Mm -hmm. it really does spiral with opportunity.
1: Yes. Yeah. And you are getting out there in real IRL. Yeah. <laughs> with think, meeting know, actual people. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right? Mm-hmm. So that's the other plus about that, too. Uh-huh. So this this is wonderful. This is uh, and people should check into their local um you know, college and art institutes mm-hmm. and so forth. I mean, I'm so lucky to be here where I'm like eight miles from the Art Institute. So oh, I should okay. get, you know, get get into that.
0: <laughs> Two, an interesting conversation within the craft and creative community is around unpacking the art world that it can be intimidating or mysterious. And, and just kind of trying to know the difference of when is a quilt a quilt? When is a quilt a craft? When is a quilt art? Do I as a quilter also need to own the title artist? Maybe, maybe not. And I think there's so many times when people make quilts to express love and to have something in their home that they made instead of that was made in China and purchased at Target or Walmart. And just doing that is so beautiful and so interesting. And you don't have to wear that I'm an artist hat in order to own I'm a quilter who makes beautiful things for my Mm -hmm. own home. But if you are interested in that, in wearing that heart hat of artist, and you want other people to see your quilts, and you want to participate in the art world, and you didn't go to art school, like most quilters, I would say, didn't go to art school, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you then begin to access that world that seems intimidating Mm -hmm. and... I think that there are a lot of really powerful things that you can do to gain access. And part of that is watching d- documentaries like Why Quilts Matter and also watching things like PBS Art 21. And you just start to see how do artists yeah. talk about their art? And Craft how in America. Di- oh, I love Craft Me in America. too. When I finally met <laughs> Therese Agnew in person <laughs> I just I almost died. I like could yeah. have just swallowed her up uh. with joy. Um, yeah. And so when you when you watch things like that, you learn how artists talk about quilts and how artists talk about their work. And then you can go to free resources like lectures. Especially a lecture is so nice because everyone comes in and they sit down and you don't have to feel socially awkward about what do I do now? Mm-hmm. How do I, <laughs> and maybe you don't even talk to someone the first three times you go, sure. you just observe and you feel yourself slowly becoming part of that community. Right. And then you attend an art gallery opening. And, you know, again, maybe you don't have any pressure on yourself to talk to anyone at first, but you just show up and you just look and it's, It's one of those really safe social settings where you look completely normal if you walk in and you don't say anything and you drink a little wine, Mm -hmm. eat a bite of cheese (laughs) and look at the art and then you go home. And then once you feel comfortable doing that, Mm -hmm. maybe you say hi to someone, maybe you introduce yourself to the artist, Mm -hmm. maybe, you you know, give someone a little elbow or comment, like, I don't get this one. (laughs) Do you get it? right. right. (laughs) Or, wow, that's so beautiful. How did they do that? Do you know? I can't tell. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's those baby steps that mm-hmm. give us access. And I yeah. think it's really important that if, if we as quilters want to be part of the art world, we need to show up in and participate in the mm-hmm. art world. And that is yeah. step number one. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not a step that anyone has to take, but it's a really easy step if you want to take it. Right.
1: Right. Absolutely. That's great. You are just a wealth of, of information and resources about this. This is wonderful. So then now let's get into more of the hand quilting part. Yeah. And um, I mean, I I I. I one of my questions was like, you know, why do you have such a passion for it? But I think you've already gone there. <laughs> 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 I can. I know why you have a passion for this art now. And w- with your family history and your community and just, um, you know, you said experiencing other types of art. And then this one really, you know, grabbed you. So
0: It feels so yeah. good to make a quilt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a nice way to spend my time. hmm And I love that it has a history that's connected to women. I feel Mm -hmm. as though every time I have a personal win in my own microcosm as an artist supporting myself, Mm -hmm. it is also a macrocosm win for women getting Mm -hmm. recognition and for our traditional art forms Mm -hmm. being supported and valued. And it makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And I... I really love that about it and mm-hmm. about building. Yeah, absolutely. But it's mostly it's selfish. It just feels yes. really nice. <laughs> I know, it does. And, <laughs> and also, I think, you know, same as, same as some people are great at catching a ball or they're great at learning a foreign language. Mm-hmm. I think I just have some natural inherent skill where needle arts makes sense to me. Mm hmm the same way for someone else they look at a car and and, and it just makes sense to them mm-hmm. they understand how to fix it they understand how to do an oil change i i get textiles and yes. and it's fun for me because of that right.
1: right and what's also nice about it is that you are very giving with your knowledge and you teach it so yeah. i think that's wonderful because uh, i i just i'm always learning i will always learn forever and um, you know, this is another form of quilting that um, I want to learn and get into. and yeah. and you do teach workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you teach?
0: So I've got a workshop coming up through the modern quilt Guild at Quiltcon, and that one is on visible hand piecing. And for me, it's an extension of why I love hand quilting. i I never even thought about machine quilting. It didn't occur to me. But I was initially machine piecing my quilt and sewing that initial patchwork together, mostly, excuse me, with a sewing machine. Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize that I was having a lot more fun with the handwork part instead of the sewing machine part. I didn't like how straight I had to sit. It hurt my back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like listening to the sound of the sewing machine because I couldn't as easily have a podcast or an audiobook or a TV show on in the background. <laughs> so I thought, how can I get rid of this and have it be worth doing? Because I had the misconception that if I was to start hand piecing my quilts, they would look the same as something that was... Machine pieced, and how could I justify spending all that extra time for something that wouldn't show up in my art? Mm-hmm. And what I was able to learn is that there are a lot of ways that hand piecing can be visible. One of the really powerful experiences that I had is I went to Seoul in South Korea in 2015 and visited. My favorite roommate from college, and oh. uh, she had been begging me to come visit her for a decade. And I thought, now I can get you know two birds with one stone. I can <laughs> learn about Korean patchwork, and I can see my friend Young Oak. And in that tradition, they use a whip stitch, and it's not like the whip stitch that we use with English paper piecing or Grandma's flower garden doing hexagons. In, that, in those Western traditions, there's a lot of cheating the needle to the back, using thin thread, invisible, matching colored thread. Mm-hmm. And the Korean patchwork tradition, you use a bright colored silk and it transforms the act of making a patchwork from being an exploration in shape to being an exploration that also includes line because suddenly then you can see very vividly the line that is the space where those two shapes meet Mm -hmm. and where they're being connected and learning those techniques and then slowly digesting them. It took me about nine months from going to Korea before I was able to make my first quilt where I incorporated that into the piecing. But now I also use a lot of running stitch for applique things, and I'll use applique techniques when I'm piecing things Mm -hmm. that are bigger than an applique setting. And because of that, you can see the handwork, and I think then that is where it becomes beautiful enough that it's worth doing. Right. And also certain seams and things we avoid a lot in machine piecing because it's hard. Even something simple like a curve, but also an L seam or a Y Y, seam. mm -hmm. It's so easy when it's this applique hand piecing approach. It's so hard when you're trying to shove it through a sewing (laughs) machine and you hope it'll lay flat at the end. So... There, there are both disadvantages and advantages to okay. the hand piecing that I am really excited about. So that is a six-hour class that I'll be teaching at QuiltCon. That's going to go live. Oh, I don't know when people can sign up for that. But it's a, it's a hot second that the classes are available and then they sell out. Oh, so, is that going to be um, in uh, Austin next year? Yes, exactly. Oh. That'll be with QuiltCon in Austin next year. All right. And- and so that's a really exciting extension of of hand work you know, yeah. if you like hand quilting you might also like visible hand piecing mm-hmm. and that's something that I'm really excited about teaching oh fantastic and, yeah and then I have um a variety of other classes that I teach that are on mm-hmm. hand hand work last year at QuiltCon, I did a lecture on hand quilting and I had a lot of details about that mm-hmm. and Another handwork-based passion of mine is mending. And I'll be teaching a class soon with The Makery out in Boulder, Colorado. The class will be at the end of October. And our our sign-up is going to go live um, probably in early June, I I think. (laughs) Cool, (laughs) yeah. And so for that, I'm teaching about mending. And that, again, is something that... I just love how it looks when it's done by hand. I think that our society is can really get behind the idea that time is money.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We understand that that time is the most valuable thing that we have and sewing is such a unique, amazing art in that a sewing machine cannot replicate what a hand stitching with a needle can replicate. They don't look the same. Mm -hmm. You have a dotted line by hand and you have a straight line by machine. And so when someone looks at a garment that's been mended by hand, and they see that dotted line, even if they don't sew themselves, they still generally have the wherewithal to know that that looks different from the clothes that they buy mm-hmm. that are made by a sewing machine mm-hmm. and And so then you see it and you think, "Oh, that's stitched by hand, time is money. that must be beautiful that, that it, you know that it's as though it's been repaired with gold or something that the, you want to look at that mm-hmm. is then a focal point or a centerpiece in mm-hmm. the in the in the garment rather than a mistake or an apology or something that you're trying to hide I think so many times something we need to avoid when we're mending is that feeling of embarrassment mm-hmm. as though your bra strap is hanging out or your underwear is showing and the things that you can see, but you think, maybe I'm not supposed to be able to see that. That's where it becomes, I think, a little bit embarrassing. And if you can make amend and have it appear purposeful, then people see it and they realize, okay, I'm allowed to see this and I'm allowed to recognize that it's beautiful and interesting and so the class that I'm teaching is going to be a three-day retreat where people bring a great big stack of clothing, and we plow through everything, every kind of mend, every type of woven or knit fabric. I wear a lot of leggings, partly because my one of my jobs is that I'm a yoga instructor. And it's hard to find a comfortable pair of leggings. I know they appear comfortable on the outside, <laughs> But there's the scourge of the saggy crotch where I'm always pulling them up yes. and things that are you know, too tight or, or they don't fit right or the waistband is in the wrong place and so when I find a good pair of leggings, those are really special to me and mm-hmm. I've developed a lot of mending techniques to help keep keep them alive, the mm-hmm. pairs that I really love and and so all of that kind of stuff is going to be covered in the workshop, and it'll all be done. By hand. And I'll say, too, something really exciting for me is there are lots of quilting classes that exist within the quilt world, like what you took through the Quilt Guild. Mm -hmm. That's how they're hosted. And I feel as though I'm one of a few special people who get to teach quilting within the maker movement and within other spaces. Because in order to hand quilt or hand piece or mend by hand, you don't have to own a sewing machine. You don't have to own a rotary cutter and a mat that you just need a needle and thread and a thimble. And I don't even quilt with a, a hoop. I just like to use a heavy book on the edge of a table. And I use that to create tension and it doesn't take much. And so then it's low stress for people to say, well, I'll just dabble in quilting. I'll try it mm-hmm. one. And then maybe if I really like it, I'll invest in a sewing machine and things later on. But I think to date, there have been some things that for people who didn't grow up in a home like I did with a sewing machine, it's hard for them to dip their toe in the quilt world. Mm-hmm. It's so intimidating and it's so expensive and there's all this stuff you have to understand. And when it's a handwork quilting class, it suddenly becomes accessible again. And a novice and a beginner and someone who's not already into quilting can take a class and feel super successful.
1: That's true. Definitely. It eliminates a lot of the ancillary Mm-hmm. Multiple tangents <laughs> that are out there in the world of quilting. <laughs> There's yeah, so much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were talking about um, tools, like you don't use a hoop because I—that's I, mm-hmm. kind of what I know. I wanted to know um, because you know you do. I do see you know people um, quilting in hoops and yeah. um, or frames, and I'm just not sure you know what what is appropriate for when. But it sounds like. Really, whatever you, what, whatever you, you know, need is what you need. <laughs> Whatever's comfortable for you is what you need.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever's comfortable for you. But I would extend the caveat of what's comfortable and healthy for your body. Right. Because there are a lot of things that people initially do when they start quilting that are not healthy for their hands. Mm -hmm. and you want to be cautious of that. The top thing that I see is people think it's awkward to use a thimble. They feel a bit like all thumbs, Mm kind of the same way that we as children felt about using a pencil instead of a big, thick crayon. You have to then learn how to hold the pencil in a way that's healthy for your hand. Mm -hmm. And the thimble can feel awkward at first, But it has a very important job. And so if you're not using a thimble, what you're doing is you're squeezing this very tiny, thin needle between your fingers. And with that pressure where you're squeezing on the sides of it, you're trying to push it through something. And you might feel okay doing that for a few hours at a time or even for a couple months. But at a certain point, the calluses that that builds up on your hand are going to be problematic. And having that kind of pressure of finger against finger and metal, that can cause damage to your nerves and your your hand. Mm. The logic behind using a thimble is that that would be either on your middle finger or your ring finger. Both are good. That completely just depends on what's comfortable for you. Mm -hmm. But and and there are also interesting thimbles that actually rest on the palm of your hand if you look into sashiko quilting or sashiko embroidery mm-hmm. from Japan there's a tradition of having it. so there're many different kinds and shapes and thimbles and many ways to use them
1: oh i For, think i have that one it's mm-hmm, it fits it's on your example. it's almost like it's a ring a but mm-hmm. it's got it right here
0: okay. yeah. yeah yeah it's a ring that rests mm-hmm. under mm-hmm.
1: Your joint yes. on your finger yeah
0: and All thimbles are good. All thimbles do the same thing. They give you something to push against so that the fingers that are holding the thimble just need to lightly grip it and keep it in place. Mm -hmm. The pushing, that intense pressure that it takes to bring the needle through the fabric, that comes from the thimble. And so that is a very important thing that you do want to train yourself to do because you don't want to have damage in your hand. Very you good. also, with your thimble, you want to be careful that it's not too tight. Mm. I personally really like the thimbles that are softer. Mm. So I love the Clover Protect and Grip Thimble. It's a soft silicon around my finger, and it's just hard metal at the tip. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. There are also a lot of great thimbles out there that are made from leather. I personally haven't found one that I love that works with my shape fingers. I have very long, skinny fingers, just like (laughs) my dad's side of the family. So, (laughs) you know, everything is, is tailored. If you've got fingers that you were told you should play the piano as a kid, then... What I do might be the right choice for you, but if you have a different kind of finger, I have no idea what shape thimble will be your <laughs> preference. But I right. do know that it's worth buying a few different mm-hmm. thimbles, playing with them and seeing what's right. But I certainly, I love the idea of using a leather thimble because it's a, a natural renewable resource and it is soft rather than hard mm-hmm. against your
1: yeah. and so, I have a leather one, too. That one doesn't work for you. The It might be made by Clover, but it's kind of like a white or gray leather. And it kind of has a little bit. of Oh, gathering. yeah. No, I don't
0: like that one. No. Yeah. No, do oh. not like that one. It's too big and clunky for me. It is because, a little boxy at, at the fingertip. Metal... Mm-hmm. And I also, I like to push from the tip of my finger uh-huh. rather than the pad of my finger. Oh, and that gotcha. symbol, I believe, is meant for pushing from the pad of your finger. Yes, that's um, what I've done. Similar to the nimble is a black <laughs> one, and it has a little piece of metal Im- embedded in it. And again, that, that's a, a pad pushing rather than a tip pushing gotcha. situation. Okay. And then there's another nice one that's a thicker leather where it's one flat kind of u-shaped piece of leather and then the other piece of leather just like a shoe is sort of curved around to match that it looks a lot like a shoe like a (laughs) claw to your (laughs) finger and and that one I don't like the rough ridges where the seam Mm -hmm. is but I like that it's thick enough leather that you don't have to have the metal embedded anywhere you're just pushing Mm -hmm. So anyways, there's right. a lot of intricate details in the thimble <laughs> world and just please use one. Exactly. I have no opinion beyond that. Just please use the thimble. Right, right. And, and so then for me with some other material choices mm-hmm. that are important to me, in Western quilting that uses thin thread, that's where the quilting hoop and frame has a lot of popularity and tradition. And... In that instance, it's a super short needle to go with your super thin thread, and that is all about rocking your needle back and forth, and that's how you catch your stitches. And then you pull through, and you only do a couple stitches per pull of the needle. What I find with what I'm working in is... I like to use thick thread, again, because I want people to see that I did it by hand. That, for me, is a real guiding principle in my work. I want my handwork to be visible. Yes. And so then if I'm looking, for example, at sashiko embroidery from Japan, that's very precise art, and that's an embroidery technique. But there are things to be learned about using thick thread, in particular, that they rock the fabric. And apply it to the needle, and the needle is resting in their palm, and then they, they have lots of stitches per pull. Okay, Simpler, yeah, because the needle it, is long too. Yeah, it's very long, mm-hmm. very different needle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also in India, they have Kantha quilting, and that tradition is. Done with a larger needle, and the quilt is sometimes just laying on the floor and they're passing by it. Hmm. And it's a stitch that's meant for speed, so they do lots of stitches quickly rather than carefully doing a few stitches. Hmm. And the, the cantha stitch is beautiful because the back of the quilt, it's just this tiny little nick, the stitch maybe a millimeter or a sixteenth of an inch long. Mm, okay. And right. then the front of the stitch is perhaps even a solid quarter of an inch. So they're rocking their needle. They're moving the needle very quickly through. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the thread is actually buried in the quilt itself because they're sewing it such a diagonal mm-hmm. rather than bringing their needle perpendicular to the quilt mm-hmm. and and so that's a really interesting art form i'm I, I i would love to know more about it i have i'm going to india in september and so oh. really hoping that the same way that when i went to korea and i really learned about that tradition i'm hoping i can really learn more about how a needle is held properly in all of those details in in cantha quilting but i think something important there is that again they're not using a hoop at all and and so then when i went to begin using thicker thread for my quilting i thought i'm making things that look more like these other traditions and that don't bear any resemblance to a tiny thread perforation mark Mm -hmm. quilt and So, but I did need some tension. I felt like I could really use a third arm. And so that's where for me, I lay my quilt on a table and then I place a heavy book. I I used my scale and measured my book is about five pounds. And it's a book that my dad gave me about women artists. So (laughs) I like that that is my largest book that I own. And I put that on top of my table. And then I work in the space that's off the edge of the table. So I'm not working right in front of the book on top of the table. I'm working off the ledge of the table and I can pull tight on that and create some tension with my left hand. Mm -hmm. And then with my right hand, I can hold my needle relatively still. And with my left index and thumb, I'm able to rock the fabric because I don't want that ratio that's in a cantha quilt. What I want is a stitch that's exactly the same on the front and the back. Mm-hmm. I just personally find that satisfying and that is the only reason why I do that. <laughs> and and I also like the freedom that depending on how complicated the direction of my quilting is, I can quilt from the front or I can flip it over and I can quilt from the back mm. And in both instances, my stitches look the same. Right, and right. for me, that has some real advantages for the way that I like to work and the, the different patterns and improvisational mm-hmm. lines that I like to do with my hand quilting. So, so it's, it's much more, though, rocking the fabric rather than rocking the needle. Mm-hmm. And if I were confined by a hoop, the fabric would be too taut right, and I right. wouldn't be able to rock the fabric. Okay. What I also do that I like is I stack a lot of stitches on my needle. I use a milliner's needle. I like the Dritz brand. They have a multi-pack and I like to use the three smallest of the four needles from that pack. And I love that it is sharp, that it is long, that it is resistant to being bent, although I certainly have bent a couple of them from <laughs> when I'm working. <laughs> And, and then the the thing that I appreciate about it the most is that it is the eye of the needle is the same thickness as the length of the needle. Embroidery needles are tempting to use with thick thread, Mm -hmm. but I found that that makes pulling the needle through the fabric that much harder. It's really a lot of pressure on my fingers, on my elbow, on my shoulder, and so by using, it's slightly more challenging to thread, but once you get the hang of it, you thread it once, you pull it through so many times. Mm-hmm. And, and I would rather have that pulling moment be less effort, mm-hmm. less taxing less on me. And so with my milliner's needle, I'll stack probably two to four inches worth of stitching on my needle. It's all bunched up on there. And then I'll pull. So I'm getting about three inches of quilting every time I pull my needle through. And that is really helpful for Mm -hmm. me. I feel like I'm being economical with my time in that way. Mm -hmm. And I like to use a rubber gripper on either my thumb or my index. I kind of like to take turns so that both of them alternate if I have that on both fingers, I feel like I'm all thumbs. I can't, I don't have enough dexterity that way. Mm -hmm. But having that gripper on just one of those fingers is enough tension that that makes it a little easier for the pulling side. So I've got my metal, nice, strong thimble on, on my I prefer ring finger, but I try to make myself alternate between my ring and my, my middle again, so that I'm not doing the same exact movement over and over and over again. The more I can create diversity of movement, the less taxing that is on my body. So I'm pushing with my thimble and then I'm using the aid of my rubber gripper to pull through. And I'm also, as I pull something that I learned, uh, for my my health of my shoulder is that I don't want to lift my hand up higher than my shoulder when I'm pulling. It's much better to reach forward and away, keeping my hand at shoulder height or lower when it's that intense repetitive movement. So sometimes if I'm using a long thread, I'll actually pull away from myself and then catch the thread on my elbow and then pull my elbow away. Oh, all right. Uh, the audio of that is translating to, um, to our listeners, but that it's helpful to not reach up overhead yeah. all the time. It's helpful to reach forward and around or to reach, catch the thread on my elbow and pull back towards so you, so that mm-hmm. that right arm isn't going higher than my shoulder. And and again it's just. It's less frequent if I'm able to stack a lot of stitches. Mm-hmm. And then pull once. In, once every three inches. Instead of once every inch. Or every half inch. But you know. All of those choices are based on the thread that I like. And so the thread that I like. Yes. Is DMC pearl cotton. Size number eight. Oh okay. Eight. I, it, I love that thread. So much. I initially went to the craft store and I saw the beautiful colors in the DMC floss for embroidery. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, I'll make a quilt with that. And I did make a couple of quilts with that. And it was very frustrating because those six strands invariably, one of the strands will pop out more than the others. And then it just doesn't look right. And it right. also doesn't hold a knot very well. I was having trouble with my knot slipping open. Yeah. Yeah. So the DMC pearl cotton is mercerized and all of the strands that make that thread are spun together in a way that they can't be pulled apart. And that makes it smoother to work with and also it holds a knot better. So I love that thread and I like that thickness and the way that it is is spun and wrapped around. I also... If I want something slightly thicker, or if I just want a color that's different, or if I want to be um, gentler on my pocketbook, the other thing that I really like is crochet yarn. So something, for example, like Aunt Lydia's, although I don't have as strong of feelings about the brand. So it could be the Michaels brand crochet thread. It could be the DMC brand crochet for me it's about color when it comes to that and that is also mercerized and slightly thicker so it's a slightly more visible stitch it's really inexpensive thread Mm. so affordable especially if you use a coupon so those two are my my hands down favorite things to use because of the color variation and the way that it's mercerized and it's a nice strong thread if you start cutting corners on thread and buying the cheap stuff or buying just Mm -hmm. buying other brands that are prioritizing other virtues in their thread like um sometimes those threads get really thin and they'll snap like they'll Mm -hmm. break before I'm done using the thread so 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 that's why I like the dmc and the the crochet stuff is that it's strong and good colors and mercerized
1: yeah and, and cost effective because mm-hmm. I, and this is a really good tip about the crochet yarn because i didn't know about that um yeah. and I, I i really like the orophyll threads and they've got a beautiful 12 weight thread which probably would be
0: good for that but it, it's thinner Oh, is it? I, have, I actually, I have a ton of thread like that from Sulky because I've won some awards and they've <laughs> given it to me as a prize. <laughs> cool. So I have, oh, I have the most beautiful th- mm. colors in that 12 weight. Mm-hmm. And I try to use it when I can for embroidery things. And when I'm mending, if I'm mending something that's more delicate, mm. then I like that thinner thread. Oh, good. That's a good but use for, for it. for me... It's just not visible enough. Gotcha. And in order for the stitch to look, there's something about matching your stitch length with the thickness of the thread. And I find in order for the 12 gauge to look right and not sloppy, I need to make my stitches smaller. Ah, Okay. But other people, you know, go other ways. My dear friend, Zach Foster, who I so love the way that he hand quilt, he thinks that uh, upon my advice, he bought some size eight. And then later he gifted it to gifted it to me because he said it was just too thick and he couldn't deal with it. (laughs) He wants his size 12. (laughs) To (laughs) each their own. (laughs) Very intimate decision process. Yes, yes. you know, if you buy some stuff that's the wrong diameter, hopefully you can find a friend who likes it. <laughs> right,
1: right. But this is a good guide just for people who um, just want to try it. And I also want to say that um, for listeners that are used to doing fast and quick projects, that this hand quilting slows you down, makes you really, like, present with your project and think about it and um you know don't think about I don't have time for this or if Mm -hmm. a lot of people are just like oh I don't have time for that you know I just (laughs) you know run it through and done Mm -hmm. (laughs) and maybe that's the lifestyle you have maybe you have little kids or whatever but maybe you don't do a whole quilt of hand quilting and just put a little bit of it in there but um I just think it's something something other than a
0: quilt right maybe you make a purse or Uh a placemat or make a jacket for yourself or some kind of clothing. Maybe you make a three foot by three foot baby quilt. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, don't start with a king size (laughs) quilt for your bed. That's for sure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) But this is a really good, and, and, and talking about the mending, I, I've definitely gotten into that more in the last six months, learning about it. I follow the hashtag, um, Visible mending. Uh, oh, I didn't. Not that one. I don't. I'm. Oh. Going, I'm going to. Love clothes last. Visible mending. No, the uh, mend and make do.
0: Oh yeah, that's a good one too.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm gonna hashtag visible mending. But the things that I see on the, that feed is amazing. I yeah. am just blown away by this mending that um, these people do, and they make it so artistic. And to me, it's just like you just made a couture custom piece of clothing yeah. right there. It mm-hmm. is that good. It's just so amazing. So that's why I'm really I've been following it. and <laughs> I learned <laughs> I learned about this little speed weave mini loom. <laughs> Oh and I love you know you put the little hooks and you weave the, the the yarn or the thread through it and you swish them the other direction and they mm-hmm. create like this weave so I've been on like this hunt for it, but man they are expensive it's just oh. the going rate for those are in like the two to three hundred dollars and I'm just like or just a simple what? yeah for a little piece of round wood. <laughs> And a row of little metal hooks. It's just crazy. It's, you know, they did that with the quilters with the featherweight sewing machine. You know, now that's exorbitant. Mm -hmm. It's just the supply and demand.
0: I'm thinking maybe you could use an embroidery hoop and some applique needles yeah. in, the, in between and make your own little. I know, right? I gotta <laughs> get creative. Store. The high school art teacher in me is like, oh, don't we need shoe boxes to make a loop? Right, right. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> How about your,
0: your cottage cheese lid? <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Get creative, but yeah. I think I... both of these things harken back to a similar mindset of, quality over quantity as well. And why do you need to be able to make a quilt in 10 hours? That, you know, I, I don't know why you would need to make that. I think for me, just the quilting part of it, making something that's around three feet by three feet is probably just 20 hours of hand quilting. If I'm making something that's five feet by five feet, that would be potentially around 36 hours of hand quilting. And you know, how much time have all of us spent watching game of Thrones? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if an, if it, if a season of a show is 10 hours, yeah, think about how many seasons you're willing to watch. Right. And, and, and quilting is something that is it's it's very easy to watch TV and quilt at the same time. You don't need to be eyes glued to your work the whole time. I think that's, for me, the thing that's time-consuming is knitting and crocheting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If I'm going to knit myself a shirt or something, that that's the long-term just for me. I would never sell <laughs> that to anyone because right. it's too much time. <laughs> but both of those art forms I can knit and watch a show I can quilt and watch a show and then it becomes well yeah I can marathon through a TV thing my first quilt that I made I distinctly remember that I was watching fringe on Netflix as I was hand quilting in September 2013 <laughs> and by the time I finished watching fringe I had a quilt, and it was great because it was this suspenseful TV show where I just always wanted to watch the next episode. <laughs> next episode. And and then I was able to finish that quilt in a month. And yeah. it's it's a good way to to wrap your brain around the time that you're spending on the thing. I think when I'm mending, I'll consider to myself: Is this a sitcom? Is this a drama? Being thirty minutes or an hour. Is this you know, a movie-length mend? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's we're not talking about marathoning Game of Thrones when we're talking about mending. We're talking about you know two hours, four mm-hmm. hours, maybe a whole day for something that's really special. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can find that time, especially if we start unpacking where our time goes for the other things that we do. Sure. If I were to buy a brand new pair of pants, let's say, I need to first go to work and earn money. Then I need to think about where am I going to shop? Am I going to go to the mall? Or am I going to go online? And in both places, I have to hunt around a little bit and try things on at the mall or read the reviews on the store's website. And then I get it home. And then I try it on with my other clothing. And then most of the time I like it and I keep it. But plenty of times, especially if I bought it online and saved time with going to the store, then I have to <laughs> deal with turning it. Yes. And then because we're in this consumer culture where we don't have space for all of our stuff, mm-hmm. sooner or later, everything that we add to our closet, we have to find something else to remove. And mm-hmm. so we have to either follow that rule when we come home from the store or we have to have a huge purge where we see what sparks joy in our closet. And get rid of things. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And that is a lot of time. And I'll wager that it's more time than watching TV for an hour or having a glass of wine with my friends in the evening and having everyone over for snacks and mending. Mm-hmm. I, s- I certainly know which way I would prefer to mm-hmm. spend my time. Yeah, so. For sure. It, it's a lot of just changing our thinking around the way that we're spending time. Mm-hmm. Because we have so many habits around consumer culture that we don't even, we're not even aware of the mm-hmm. time that into participating in that system. Mm-hmm. And once we do become aware of it and draw back from it a little bit, it it's really shocking. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when we try to reintroduce ourselves, <laughs> just, I got a gift card for, as a Christmas present to a store, and I, just, I like, haven't been able to spend it yet. It's so frustrating because <laughs> I've been looking online, and now I have to return the things online, and i live living that <laughs> right now. I'm in the nightmare of trying to spend money at a store. <laughs> yeah, very good.
1: That's so. That's a really good um, way of looking at that and and really seeing where your time goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that. So I'm looking forward to, you know, learning more about mending. And if anyone's interested um, uh, uh, about with that three day mending, where is that retreat at, actually? the, at the It makery. is in
0: Boulder, Colorado. Oh, okay. And the website is the makery, um, make IE Oh God, I can't. I I have a M A K
1: E R I E. Yes. Okay. That's how it's spelled. I'll put it (laughs) in my show notes. I'll put a link to it uh, Mm -hmm. when you get when you get that, because this is not going to go up for a few weeks, so we'll have time um, to do that. But yeah, Yeah. I'll I'll have that up there for anyone who wants to um, dive into that retreat. That sounds wonderful.
0: Uh, One other thing, though,
1: I I wanted Mm to um, address before
0: we moved on: Um, the batting type. Is there any special batting? I like like warm and natural batting from the warm company. And I used to say that I didn't have a great reason for liking it. I mean, like my milliner's needles and my thread and my thimble, that is seriously researched, impressive. (laughs) I feel very confident recommending that. And I would always Uh say, well... I've only ever used warm and natural batting and I can't complain, but (laughs) I don't know. And the reason I bought it was because I was looking at Joanne Fabrics and everything else seemed to have glue in it. It was Mm. all this fusible, weird Mm -hmm. chemical stuff. And especially because I'm hand quilting, I don't want a needle that's passing through all those chemicals. On my skin getting absorbed through mm-hmm. you know, through my skin that way, so mm-hmm. number one, I like warm and natural because it has natural ingredients in mm-hmm. it, like cotton instead of glue right. but at at quiltcon this past year, I attended an amazing lecture about cotton and the history of cotton and In that lecture, I learned that Warm and Natural is one of the unique brands that actually uses American-made cotton. Hmm. And so I feel great about buying American cotton. Yes. The guideline cotton is actually a very controversial material. I mean, as are most materials. Mm -hmm. And if you want to feel good about things like mending, there's a documentary called The True Cost. And that documentary on Netflix will make you cry and be grateful for even the one time that you decided to mend something or buy less instead of more. Mm -hmm. And in there, they talk about the cotton industry and all of it's like cotton candy to bugs. And so there are a lot of chemicals used. And In America, we have some stricter guidelines on how to apply those chemicals so that farmers aren't dying Mm. from the chemicals that they're using to make the normal cotton as opposed to organic cotton. And in other countries like India, they are making a lot of cotton there, but they don't have the strict human guidelines. And there's also a lot of problems that they highlight in that film around people buying the seeds and the equipment and the chemicals, and then at the end of the season, they owe a certain amount of money back because they got into debt to get the chemicals. And if it was a bad year, if for any reason their crops didn't grow it's completely devastating to that family mm. and their finances and, and they highlight in their problems with suicide that the farmers are having wow. because, because they're, they had a bad year with their crops and there's no way to get out of that crippling debt that they have because of the chemicals. So um, yeah, cotton is complicated mm-hmm. as it has been. Certainly cotton, we think of America and we think of slavery mm-hmm. and, the intensely complicated history that it had then and it continues to be mm-hmm. complicated I would say it's still in many ways better than polyester because that has all the microplastics that mm-hmm. are going to the ocean every time we wash them in our washing machine um you know, like all of these materials are complicated
1: and even and- bamboo people think uh-huh. that bamboo is so renewable and eco and I found out that The processing that goes along with making bamboo batting is, you know, they're reversing Mm. it. They're reversing all the ecological, you know, pros by filling all the chemicals in the plants that processes the the bamboo. That's
0: interesting. (laughs) I imagine it's a lot like rayon where it is a natural fiber, Mm -hmm. but it's a heavily altered natural fiber. And so... They all have pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. Certainly, one of the biggest things to keep in mind is if you're going to acquire some of those things, mm-hmm. try to make it last, right? Rather than throwing it out after a season, mm-hmm. like try to see it as the valuable thing that someone struggled mm-hmm. to to grow and to bring into the world, right? And and so anyways, I I feel now remarkably good about my lifelong choice behind warm and natural batting. Great. (laughs) I like that it's from America where we have higher standards for for the human side of that equation. Yep. And the batting that I get is needled batting. And traditionally that's needled into a scrim. And so part of that scrim is made from something synthetic and being needled that it's it's like it's being felted Mm -hmm. it fuses the batting so it doesn't come apart and shift inside of the quilt Mm -hmm. it also keeps it flat Uh, now the warm company who did who makes warm and natural they have another line that they're making where even the scrim is made out of cotton. Mm. And so that's something new that I've personally been excited about buying, but haven't really, um, you know, because making quilts is slow. I haven't Mm -hmm. made very many quilts with Mm -hmm. it yet, but it seems to function in in a way that's just as good, but it is truly a hundred percent cotton versus having that scrim that is made from a different material. Right but certainly no glue involved. Yes. (laughs)
1: Good. Very good. Well, um, you know what? I I definitely want to have you back because there's just so much more to, to just find out from you because um, we didn't even get to talk about just the inspiration for your work of (laughs) like the Japanese wabi-sabi. And you talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about the Korean, um, how do you Mm -hmm. say it? Jogato? 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 Um,
0: Jogato.
1: Jogato. Yeah. Jogato. Seminole patchwork. Yeah. Um, oh, American yeah. knots and improvisation. So I, I I definitely, I want to have you back so that you can talk about those as well. Yeah, we
0: can talk more about aesthetics. And yes. What the class- yeah, yeah. The absolutely. Yeah. But
1: this was amazing. You, you just... Um, you bring a wealth of experience and knowledge, and your passion exudes this mm-hmm. knowledge from you and in a way that I can absorb it and get excited about it too. And then it's really coming, you know, to the surface on Instagram and everywhere with this mending, mm-hmm. the visible mending. I love how yeah. portable it is. Yeah, and portable. You mm-hmm. don't
0: you don't have to be then in your sewing room at home. You can go to a social gathering, you can be quilting on an airplane, <laughs> you can be quilting in the waiting room. It, 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 You find more times where you could be quilting because the location is so freeing for where, right. where you can do the work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the location. And like you said, you just need needle and thread. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing, um, you know, hand quilting with us.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. This was really special. talking. Oh, to
1: you. Yeah, I was an honor. I really enjoyed having you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Make and Decorate podcast. You can find the show notes and the podcast episodes on my website at stephaniesochadesign.com. And I appreciate any ratings, reviews, and comments that you uh, would like to post. And give me feedback on Instagram or wherever you are at. Okay, bye.